0: Now, if you're familiar with Corinthians, Corinthians is a letter written to the church in Corinth. The churches in Corinth, because of many abuses, the churches in Corinth were practicing many profanations and abuses, and so Paul writes this letter. First, first and second Corinthians, they are correction letter. It's a correction letter, and. Many corrections and one of the corrections here is on the Lord's Supper. Chapter 11, he corrects many things even in chapter 11, but he deals with the Lord's Supper here in chapter 11 and he corrects the profanation of the Lord's Supper, the abuses that was partaking in Corinth at the time. And what he wants to argue, and what he does argue for in 1 Corinthians, and what we know of the Lord's Supper, biblically speaking, of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, is that the Lord's Supper makes us as Christians, at, by faith, the power of the Holy Spirit, makes us partakers of Christ's true body and blood by eating and drinking. So, by the mode of eating and drinking, we become one with Christ. Now, Paul goes on to instruct the church that we cannot eat and drink in just any way that we want. We must first eat and drink with discernment. Second, we are to investigate ourselves. And lastly, we must provide adequate judgment that we are worthy of this meal. So there are three clauses... There are clauses, yeah. There are three clauses... In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in the scripture text that we're reading 1st Corinthians 11 28 to 29 that are very important the first clause is this let him examine himself let him examine himself and in this examination we are to examine ourselves in Christ we are to examine if we are in Christ secondly we are to discern the body discern the body we are to discern the body of Christ. Thirdly, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is, if we are without Christ, we bring only further condemnation. So these three clauses are very important to our understanding of our coming to the table. Let him examine himself, discerning the body, and each and drinks judgment on himself. So to practice communion, we are to eat and drink the body of blood of Christ. And everything about this sacrament is in and through Christ. It's all about Christ. We may eat and receive nothing but Christ. We may see in this meal, this representation, this bread and wine, we are to see nothing in these signs but Christ's body and Christ's blood. And we are to see that we are one with Christ in Christ. And therefore, by faith, receive the blessings of Christ and not the condemnation of judgment that we find here. And this is where the Mass is a condemnable idolatry. Because the Mass itself denies the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ. At the moment when we are to have our focus and our attention set on Christ more than anything else in this world, at the Lord's table, the church in Rome has us set our eyes on a priest instead of the one and only high priest. The mass takes our eyes off of Christ, the sacramental seeing of Christ through the sign and the seals of the bread and wine. And has them transformed or transubstantiated into actually Jesus Christ, so that the bread and the wine are actually Jesus Christ. And therefore we worship or they worship bread and wine. So the Papists destroy the sacrament instituted by Christ and place, and in its place they substitute the sacrifice of the Mass, or in its place they give us the sacrifice of the Mass, which is devised by men. Now, by calling it a sacrifice instead of a sacrament, what is wrong with the idea of sacrifice? You can actually hear the error in the fact that they call this an altar and they call it a sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? Who sacrifices in a sacrifice? Who does all the action in sacrifice? Men. We sacrifice to the God, to gods, to, you know. In other religions, people sacrifice to the gods, and the gods received the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, Israel sacrificed the lamb and the sheep, and they gave the sacrifice to God. And so men sacrifice and offer it to God. Now think about a sacrament. What is a sacrament? It is God giving to His people the sacrifice that Christ offered. It is God giving His people through signs and seals... Bread and wine, the blessings and the merits of His Son, uniting us thereby to the gospel and sealing us into our justification, sanctification, and glory. It is God giving to His church. A sacrifice, rather, is us giving to God. And so sacrament is gospel, sacrifice is law. And so the mass isn't gospel, the mass is law. And it is a law devised by men. It's foreign to scripture. It's law and not a good one. It is an accursed idol. It is a cursed idol because it takes away from the eternal character of Christ's priesthood. And it finds another priesthood added to Christ. Right? What do you call a minister in Rome? not me. (laughs) Priest? It finds another priesthood added to Christ's. It also robs the perfection of the one-time sacrifice of Christ on the cross. You see, any repetition of his self-offering, he offered himself. And if some priest is therefore offering him, because that's what they're doing, they're offering him now. They ring a bell as if God can be controlled by a bell. He's here now, ding, ding, ding. As if he comes upon our begging call. And they repeat that self offering of Christ. And it's superfluous, it's superfluous, and it's impermissible. That's why it's an idol, because they are adding to God's word. They are adding something gross. They are adding, taking away really Christ's one sacrifice and offering repetitive and continual sacrifices. You see, if Christ was offered once for sins, once, right? The benefits are also once and for all and cannot be augmented. You see, the once and for all nature of the cross means that he cannot, he, he cannot even do it again. There are some things Jesus cannot do. He can tell a lie. He can't offer himself again. Because he fully offered himself. And it was fully and finally sealed. Our salvation. It is finished. He doesn't need to say it again and again. And again and again and again and again. And again. He is our high priest. Because he finished once and for all the sacrifice. He defends for us continually as intercessor because he fulfilled his one obligation of obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. He's exalted in heaven because he finished his one obedience in death to the death of a cross. He's glorious in heaven now because he finished one sacrifice. He's in heaven crowned with glory as our high king because of one because of his one time sacrifice. We have a savior in heaven because he suffered, he suffered, he died on the cross. And so if you try to reincarnate him in in the Lord's supper because that's what transubstantiation is. If you're trying to reincarnate him and cause him to go through his humiliation his sacrifice over and over again, then you wipe out his glory. You wipe out his exaltation, his resurrection. All these things are one-time occurrences, one-time events for our salvation. You can't undo them. He can't undo them. And so by having a Mass, you're really undoing the work of the Lord. You're undoing his glory. And so the Mass is a denial. It is the denial of the only sacrifice of Christ on the cross. You see, here is the most important point: if the sacrifice on the cross is sufficient, why do we need any more? Why do we need Him to do it over and over? Why do we need priests to do it over and over again? If it is sufficient, if it is sufficient, then other sacrifices are superfluous. They're superfluous at best. If other sacrifices are necessary, then his one-time sacrifice is inadequate and it is an incomplete sacrifice. Either it is finished or else you are playing with fire. And so the mass in reality, it directs the believer away from Christ and his cross. And it directs his attention toward this priest and his mass. And in the end, grace has to be acquired more and more. In the end, what you are stuck with is a sacerdotal system in which you have to go every time it is offered. In the end, there's no assurance. There's only this fearful drive to continue this practice or else. And it also keeps the people in a perpetual state of fear and immaturity. Because the mass is also offered in foreign language, hocus Corpus Meum. They do know what It's not. It's a foreign tongue. They don't know what he's saying, and, and you don't really need to know. You just need to come to the mass. There's this pious ignorance that's allowed in Roman Catholicism. There's not a need for true discipleship to learn and to grow. For some, the priests, but for the laity, you just go. So there's this. There's this perpetual. Uh, it just keep. It just binds the people to this perpetual insecurity and immaturity. And it also binds them to this hierarchical priesthood that causes these people to kneel in idolatrous idolatrous adoration of this host. The Reformation called the Catholics bread worshippers because they worship. They actually bow down to the host, to the bread and the wine. It's an idol. They bow down before God of their own making. It destroys the one true sacrifice of Christ. There is no altar. There's a table. And so we must commune rightly with the Lord. We must commune rightly with the Lord's body in the supper. And this is an act of discernment, which is an act of the intellect. You see, there has to be a certain ability and maturity to come to the table. That's why, children, you're not allowed at the table. Because you lack the ability and the maturity to come to the table. And what it becomes, the, the, it becomes the parent with the consistory to, to discern whether or not the child has a certain ability, able to know, and a maturity, able to handle themselves at the table. They must have the ability to know that that bread is different from the bread we just had in the fellowship hall. They need to have the discernment between the body of Christ and the church, which is the body of Christ. So you cannot discern, if you cannot discern either by lack of faith or maturity, you aren't allowed to handle the table. There's a certain discernment that is required. A child must be able to know their sin and misery, to really know what their sin and miseries are. They have to know how great their deliverer is. They have to understand the deliverer and his deliverance. So there's a, a certain understanding of doctrine of justification and doctrine of sanctification and so forth. How they're right before God. Parents will ask me, you know, often, and I know some of you have heard me say this because they, you know, they're, they're asking, hey, can is my child ready for the table? And then I, what do I do? I look at the child and I say, why do you want to take the Lord's Supper? I kind of just catch them off guard. Because that kind of, when they're off guard, it kind of shows, me they don't have time to think of an answer. They have to just give me the answer. Why do you want to take the Lord's Supper? Because it's an easy answer. But it takes a level of intellect, ability, and maturity just to just to answer, like, off the bat like that. And so, you know, it's a little difficult. And I say, well, let's work on that over time. Let's work on that answer. Let's get, let, me, let me hear the right answer. To learn a certain ability and maturity to come to the table. We need to know that the eating and drinking is not externally efficacious, ex operato, like Rome teaches. It just works because it's work. It just works because it works. That's where that pious ignorance comes in. It just works because it works. I don't know. I just go. (laughs) It just works. I worship the bread. He puts it on my tongue, and it just, boom, it works. I can't touch it for some reason. I don't know. But it works because he touches it. He said the Latin word phrases. I don't know what those are. He said the hocus hocus corpus meum. And what the Reformations come up with? What's the hocus corpus meum? Have you ever heard of hocus pocus? I know. Have you ever heard of the term hocus pocus? That's where that comes from. Because the Reform would listen to the the Latin and be like, that's just a bunch of hocus pocus. It's a bunch of magic. Hocus corpus. They don't know what they're saying. Yeah, this is my body in the Latin. So Truly the table must be received eternally by the Spirit's power through faith. We see through the bread and wine the things signified. The true body, the true blood of Christ. Now I must also say something about the necessity of the church. Because the church does have its place at the table. There is discipline at the table. And you find that in the clause, eats and drinks judgment on himself. There's curse sanctions here. There's a curse sanction here. If you do not discern the body rightly, he says, write the three phrases. If you do not discern the body rightly, what's the other one now? Forget them. Top of my notes. Okay, let him examine himself, discerning the body, and each and drink's judgment on himself. That final one is a curse sanction. The other two are commands. Let him examine, let him discern his body. And the third one is a curse sanction. If he doesn't do those two and he eats and drinks improperly, he brings judgment upon himself. And that is where the church has to stand by with its discipline to protect us and everyone, protect yourselves from, these, from this curse sanction. And so in the Reformed world, in the Reformed church, we have what we call close communion. There are three types of communion, three types of coming to the table in Christendom. In Christendom, there's open communion. That's anybody could come. Like John said, he visited his family's church, and he just walked through the door, and they gave everyone. He just walk through the door, and they're just handing it out. Here's the supper. You're going to need it later on. And it's like, whoa. And John was like, there's no, like, who's in charge. Like, you're not going to, you're just handing this to everyone? And he actually, John actually, sorry, I've talked about you, John. But John actually took it from his kids and gave it back. He said, my kids aren't going to take this. And like, here, No. Uh, that's open that's a very open communion there are a lot of them i went to bill heibel's church i remember the grossest form of of open communion I ever seen was bill heibel's church in chicago that's, he invented the seeker sensitive movement i went for the dinner and the show i just went to it was a good show they opened up with Beatles. they played a bunch of Beatles tunes like that was worship and like i was like all right so they pay some youtube some Beatles. really good band and but the grossest thing i saw that night was in the word in the whole ser- there was no scripture they didn't read the sermon they did a play it was a play it was a good play on how to be a good husband how to fight. No, it was about how couples how to, how to fight as couples. That was a worship service how to fight as couples. And then afterwards when we we're all leaving they're like, oh yeah, by the way on your way out there's uh, the elements for Lord's Supper. Just take it. It's like a take home night. It's take home. You just take the Lord's Supper and on your way home you know, you just pop it and on your way out like you're eating Burger King. <laughs> I was like, what? Are you insane? That's like the grossest open communion I've ever seen. But anyway, that's open communion and then there's what's called closed communion. Eastern Orthodox, Catholics are supposed to and uh, Lutherans are supposed to have closed communion, so if you go to a good Lutheran church, a confessional Lutheran church, and you say, "Hey, I'm from the Reformed church," they're like, "Ah, you can't have the supper. Stay away." And you, and you should expect that. Like, okay, good. I won't take your supper. You won't let me. Okay. If you go to a Catholic church, you should be told, that you don't want to take the mass, don't take the mass. Uh, but if, even if you wanted to, you shouldn't be allowed as a Protestant. And then, of course, Eastern Orthodox—they should—they don't allow anyone. And then the Reformed, how we're the only unique ones because we're unique in all these ways. Like we have what's called close communion. We're not open and we're not closed. We're close. We don't let mass, we don't let people who do mass come to the table. So we keep out the mass ta- We keep out idols. We, won't, we don't allow any church that fumbles, even fools with those idolatries. Like we found that Zootown now is promoting the mass. So we wouldn't let anybody from Zootown Church take our communion. Uh, and as we find other churches who've idolatry, we won't let them take our communion. But we will let all the other Protestants who aren't fooling around with these things come to the table. If they have, you know, a certain doctrine and a certain theology, we probably be, we, it's hard with the rest of Protestant Christianism because we don't know what they believe. So it's kind of hard. We come, what church you go to? Oh, this church. What do y'all guys believe? Oh, I don't know either. Well, Okay. <laughs> So, but we, we we give charity to Protestant churches. Uh, we would even let we would even let the Lutherans who don't let us take take. So even if a Lutheran, like say a Wisconsin Synod Lutheran came here, and we've actually had them, and I told them, hey, you can take, but what do they do? They don't take because <laughs> they know like I will I won't let you take, so I'm not going to take from you, which irritates me. But oh well, it's Lutheranism. Um, so we're not closed, and we're not. Open. We're close. And the reason is because of this phrase, each in drinks, judgment on himself. And this worthiness that you find here, the worthiness here requires, the worthiness required here is not a quantity. It's not a quantity of worthiness. It's a quality of worthiness. What is your true faith? Where does your heart rest? In the works of Christ? alone? And what is the fruits of repentance that you're bringing? You know, John talks about, John the Baptist talks about the works of repentance necessary before baptism. You see, there are fruits, there are necessary fruits of repentance. It's not fruits that earn repentance. When we come to the table unworthily and we find our worthiness, with fruits that are appropriate. And so our church, in close communion with church discipline, if our consistory knows of anyone in our church, any of you members who are in open, unrepentant sin, if you are in open, unrepentant sin, you are not bringing to the table fruits worthy of repentance. And we will bar you from the table. We call it silent censure in our church. We don't let everybody know, like, hey, he's... Barred from the table, we tell the unrepentant sinner, "You're barred from the table," until you repent of that sin. And we pray that the Lord would use that for them to say, "Yes, I have sinned, and I repent." I mean, that's we want repentance. But say you're some, in, you're you're in some violation because we're all sinners, right? But the difference is we repent, right? But if we find you an unrepentant, open, unrepentant. That's where, church, that's where Matthew 18 comes along. A brother sees another brother in sin. He goes to correct the brother. The brother doesn't. The brother's not corrected. Two go. He's still not corrected. It says, "Tell it to the church." You come and tell it to the church. We get involved into the sinner's life. And if he doesn't repent with us, we bar him from the table. You don't bar him from the table. So, like, say you see the unrepentant. He still is allowed at the table until we bar him. And then we say, you're an unrepentant, open unrepentant, and then you, you're falling into discipline. And we would keep you from the table. It is because of the curse sanctions. But the curse sanctions are not only for the individual. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11.30. i got my fan on up here, so my Bible's blowing everywhere. So, 1 Corinthians 11, where he continues to uh, correct the profanation of the Lord's Supper. He says in verse, 11, uh, verse chapter 11, verse 30, he says, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. He says, verse twenty-nine: For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. But here's the deal, Christian: you are not saved as an in, you are saved as an individual, but not to an individual, not in an individual way, right? You're sa- You're saved to the body. There is an organic unity that you have that you share with the body of the church you belong to. And so Paul is saying here even those people in the congregation who are drinking unworthily without the fruits of repentance he says that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died He's saying that it has affected even some in the church and it can affect some in the church it's like if part of the body gets sick the whole body gets sick And so we not only protect the, with the curse sanctions the curse sanctions for the individual but the church because we're one body and so we want to judge and discipline, he says. But, you know, if we judge ourselves, truly we would be, not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So as a church, we believe it is the responsibility of the pastors and the elders to oversee the purity of the word and the sacrament. So that so we don't let everyone at the table. And we're left with this here, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. Because there is one bread, and here you hear the unity of the table... Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? You can kind of, you know, consider the, consider the people of Rome. <laughs> are not those who eat sacrifices participants of the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. You can you can substitute freely there. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You see friends, the mass is a cursed idolatry it still denies the one true sacrifice of Christ by sacrificing Christ over and over again substituting the one priesthood for a mini for a mini priesthood even elevating this priesthood you know in Roman Catholic uh, theology the priests are ontologically better than you and better than the laity higher, closer to God there's that Platonism comes into play they are of a different substance than the laity even in their being that's why they can only touch the host. It's, it's a gross idolatry of, of humanity even, <laughs> of the call of, of the ordained minister, of the ministry, of the word and sacraments. So the mass is a curse at idolatry. We do not allow any and all who take at the altar of idols to commune at the table of the Lord. Amen at covenant reform church in missoula montana we sincerely believe god's word and faithfully teach it we invite you to worship with us on sundays at 10 30 a.m and 6 p.m for more information please visit missoulaurc.com that's missoulaurc.com